The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Um, my name is Beth, and I'm the student pastor here. And uh, I came on staff back in September, and it was only about two months later that we as a staff started talking about, hey, in 2010, we want to go after families hardcore. We want to make sure that we are going after this very, very important thing. And there was somebody in the staff meeting that said, um, that said something like, well, what about people who don't have families? And in my mind, though I didn't say this out loud because I work for a church staff and you don't say things like this when you work for a church staff, I'm thinking, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Everybody has family. Even if it's extremely dysfunctional or distant or you've been adopted into a new family, there's some sort of very, very tangible relationships that you have in your life. Now, if you work all the time, then I would argue that the people you work with, that's your family. You have made them your family by being with them all the time. So in some capacity, we all have family. But even more important than that, um, those families that tie us together by blood or adoption or we live with, those are the ones um, that are so meaningful to us. And that's why we wanted to, to, to do Family Weekend. Um, so really, Family Weekend is actually code for Relationship Weekend. So um, before we dive into this, can, can we all pray together? Let's go ahead and do that. Dear God, I ask that you would keep our um, hearts and our minds focused this morning, that you would speak to us clearly, um, that, that we would know for certain without a doubt that you have been in this place. In your holy and precious name, amen. Um, so relationships is what we're talking about today. And relationships really do determine how we perceive the rest of our life. If we are in good relationships with people, in good relationships with our family, we could be in tremendous financial turmoil. Everything could be going horribly at school or at work. But if we have good relationships, it seems like we're going to get through, right? Now, the vice versa is true too. If our relationships are in complete turmoil or disastrous, they're a hot mess, as I like to say, um, then, then, then even if our financial situation is great, it doesn't much matter. We're still not living the best of life. It's still wrecking everything. And I would argue that this is true because we were created this way. Now, back in Genesis, which you've kind of looked at with the shebang now, um, back in Genesis, God's creating the world. And as he creates it, he speaks it into existence. So he says, sky, and there's sky. And he says, that's good. And he looks and he says, elephant. And he sees an elephant and he says, that's good too. And he goes, angular fish, which is the one with the big teeth and the light, right? And he looks at that and he says, that's good. Now, there's one thing that he looks at when he creates it. And he says, that's not good. And that's when he creates man. He creates man and he sees that man is alone. And he says, it is not good for man or women to be alone. We are designed and created to be in relationship with each other. And so that's why relationships are so important to us. Internally, we have been uh, uh, sort of like, made to be in relationships. We, we, we've made to be in relationships, and I can testify that they mean more to us than anything else because I've experienced it, right? 
So like, I can think back on all the gidgets and gasmos and whack a doodles that I've gone, gotten or a raise that I've received, and none of that has been significant as my relationship. So like, when I was 13, I can remember the Christmas when I was 13, but I can't remember what I got for that Christmas. What I do remember is that is the Christmas where um, our whole family got snowed in. And so we couldn't go to my grandma's house. We didn't have any of our Christmas food because grandma was going to be providing that, right? So we didn't have any Christmas food in the house. So instead of sitting around to Christmas dinner, we sat down and we played Monopoly. And we were not a Hasbro family night, game night kind of family. So this was a really unique thing. We sit down, we play Monopoly, and that is the Christmas that my mom, who is not a very competitive lady, staked out her claim on the red properties. <laughs> and she just went for the red properties, and she bought them, and she was because that's all she had, she built up her hotels really quickly to the point that they were the most expensive properties to land on. And so you'd get there and you'd just be like, I don't have my bankrupt foreclosure, all this stuff. And she would say, oh, no, no, no. In her kind, motherly heart, she would never make her dear children pay the price to stay at her hotels. And so she turned them into soup kitchens. And she said, <laughs> and she said, please just come, have a meal, like just stay, you don't have to pay, whatever you can, that's fine. She quickly lost the game, right? <laughs> So I remember that. I don't remember what I got. Um, likewise, when me and my husband, Zach, first got married, we've been married for four years now, and when we first got married, we were dirt, dirt poor. We, we were still students. We had nothing to the point that getting a Rickers pop, which is in Indiana, the gas station is Rickers and soda is pop, so it's a gas station soda. You get a Rickers pop, you get 32 ounces for 75 cents. And this was an extraordinary, like this was a treat. And we'd have to determine, do we want the Rickers pop this week or next week? Like this is how poor we were, right? Right? So we're trying to count our pennies, but the reality is, is I don't remember that. I mean, I know that it happened, but that's not what sticks out. What sticks out is the night that we took our living room and we turned it into a jazz cafe, and we put lights everywhere. We put lit candles all over the place, and he played guitar, and I rocked it out on the harmonica, and we sang the blues until three o'clock in the morning at the top of our lungs until our bellies hurt, right? This is what I remember, and of course, I also remember that we were singing about our neighbor, who we, we blamed her for everything, it was always Sheila's fault when the, when the pipes froze and the dishwasher broke. It was Sheila's fault, right? Because <laughs> we couldn't take responsibility for that. <laughs> so, so that's what I remember. So really, when we're in relationships, these are the things that matter the most. Now, these stories probably don't mean a whole lot to you, but to me, they are my hope and my joy, they are everything that I hold on to. And I'm sure that you guys can recall something somewhere in that vast sea of memories that you too can hold on to and say, this is my hope and my joy. Family makes those hard times not just bearable, but, but kind of joyful, right? And that's why it's so important to be in those relationships. I think that because of this, because we're wired this way to want that hope and joy, to want those relationships, we take tremendous risks 
in order to pursue those, especially when we're young and we're not cynical yet. So I work with students. Hi, guys. I work with students, and every once in a while, in fact, just two weeks ago, I had a student come to me during Sonic and tell me about every painstaking detail of their new love interest, right? That he said, she said, and then I said this, but he didn't really hear me, so then I said this again, but I wasn't really sure, so then he said that, and it was so funny, and we both laughed so hard, and it takes like 20 minutes to recall like a conversation this long. But this is so important to them because they're excited and they go through these tremendous ricks to experience this hope and this joy. <laughs> when I was in college, there was this thing that happened to me that a boy took a tremendous risk in order to um, experience some hope and joy with me. He... Uh, <laughs> He, uh, uh, he had been hanging around my room for like three weeks, and I had no idea why. I didn't know why he was coming around. It was actually getting a little bit annoying because I had some work to get done. I had a couple papers lined up, and he was getting in the way of this. And so I'm at my computer, and one day he knocks at the door of my dorm room. His pants are rolled up, and he's soaking wet. I have no idea why. And he comes in. And he just kind of looks at me. He knocks on the door, looks at me. And, and I'm like, oh, hi, Zach. What are you doing here? And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, please go away. Like, I have work to do, right? But, but he's like just standing there. And my roommate's on the phone, so he looks over at my roommate like, I don't want to really talk because she's on the phone. I'll wait. And I said, oh, no, don't worry about her. She's, she's always on the phone. Don't worry about that. And so he goes, well, uh, I kind of have a crush on you, and I really like you a lot. And my roommate hears this. She hangs up the phone, and she darts out of the room. And he's just standing there. I kind of like you, and I've been trying to figure out, like, a creative way to tell you whether I should, like, email you or, like, Facebook you or, you know, stand up in the middle of class and tell you. I just didn't know what to do. So, But then I decided I needed to work on my courage, and I just needed to come out, and I needed to tell you. And here are all the things that I like about you. And... I just, I just, I know that we're probably not going to talk again for a while because this is really awkward. So don't feel like you have to say anything. I just needed to tell you this. And he walks out of the room, right? And I'm standing there and I swear my face didn't change. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? But I understand what he was thinking. He knows that he's willing to take any risk to experience hope and joy. I hope that we've all been there at some point. We want that hope and we want that joy. This is the best part of family. But way too often, that's not what we experience. We have that at first, but slowly it loses its luster. Slowly it becomes something completely different. Because the people that are closest to us are also the ones that can cause us the most pain. They're also the people that we cause the most pain, right? Now, when um, Zach did this, when he came to my room, the thing that was in my mind as I'm doing this face was, I don't know what to do with this. 
what am I supposed to, I don't even know if I like this guy. I'm, I have no clue. But this picture came into my mind of someone that, that he had just given me his glass self in that moment. He had just said, I, I, I want you to have this piece of me. And I remember feeling as though, I mean, this is, a re, this is really how I felt. I remember taking it and being like, okay, I don't know if I like you or not, but I will protect this no matter what happens. Doesn't mean I'm going to marry you. I wound up doing. I like it. But, <laughs> but I will protect this and I will cherish this no matter what. When we're in families, when we're in relationship with people, this is what we're doing. When we start to say hello to somebody who's sitting next to us that we don't know, we give them maybe just a piece of our glass self, right? And they can be like, I don't want to talk to you. And they, and they ding it for us. They ding that glass self. But when we're in our families, we are forced sometimes to give them our entire glass self and we're saying, please be careful with this. And they're giving us their glass selves. We're all exchanging this thing that we are supposed to cherish and protect and watch out for. But that's not always what happens. Sometimes the road gets a little bit more bumpy and we lose sight of the fact that this is something precious. What happens is more like this. And I want to take a look at this clip. Like I said, I had to stop and do some business. Here, sit down. Hey, you usher, come here. Can I talk to you a second? Yes, sir. You want to? Sure, no problem. Come on. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, Gil, this is Stan. He's going to watch you for a while. I have some friends I meet. I'll meet you right here, huh? By the ninth inning. Have fun, kid. So, Gilly, big baseball fan? Kinda. Yeah? Dad bring you here a lot? Once a year on my birthday, then he pays an usher to watch me. Oh, I see. You have to understand, my father, in his own childhood, was without a positive male influence. Huh? His own father kicked him out when he was 15. So my dad was taught to see child raising as a job, a burden, a prison, rather than a playground. You understand what I'm saying? So as comical as that is, sometimes that's what happened. We forget that this can be a playground, that this can be a fun and exciting thing to cherish and protect. And instead it feels like a prison that we're constantly having, having to wrestle with. We... We forget about this. And sometimes it's not that we do something awful. Sometimes it's just that we start taking the path of least resistance. So as, as teenagers, instead of taking the time to once again explain to your parents where you've been or what's happening in school, well, I don't know. We just do this like, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. 
Whatever, right? We do that. And, and as, as parents, when our two-year-old is throwing themselves on the floor of a grocery store and we have no idea what to do because they're screaming, instead of taking the time to get down with them and teaching them and talking to them and figuring out what's going on, we have a schedule to keep. And we need to keep this schedule, so I'm going to drag the kid out instead of being embarrassed by making a scene. Right? When, when our kids come home and they announce, I have a boyfriend, which will happen to you when you have a kid or a girlfriend. <laughs> um, instead of taking the time to say, hey, have you two talked about physical boundaries yet? And here are the mistakes that I've made and here are the successes that I've had. This is too awkward of a conversation, so we forget it. And in that we ding those glass cells. We don't cherish them, we don't protect them. It gets too complicated. And slowly we start to walk down this path of least resistance. Whatever is easiest, that's how I'll parent. Whatever's easiest, that's how I'll relate to my spouse. Whatever's easiest, that's how I'm gonna be a kid. Instead of realizing our parents, our children, they all have these and we have them in our hands to protect, right? Now, sometimes it's not something little. It is that someone in your family has taken this glass self and has chucked it as hard as they possibly can on the floor, against the wall, in the TV, right? They have destroyed it. And I'm sorry. Ideally, what God has created, what is supposed to happen, is for the parent to pass their glass self to the child. The child passes it to the parent. The parents exchange it with each other. And in that, we are all protecting this glass selves. We're protecting each other. That's not always what happens. Sometimes we're completely destroyed. And that's when teenagers completely give up all communication that's when spouses stop talking to each other. That's when parents start to strong arm their kids into willful obedience or throwing up their hands and not even caring anymore. We've been broken and I've been broken and I'm sick of it. I'm not doing it anymore. That's it. We're done. Right? We've all been in these places. Fortun unfortunately, our glass selves aren't as sturdy as this. We break, right? Now, when, when me and Zach, we lived in Indiana, we did this experiment. We, we were part of this experiment, and um, we decided that we wanted to learn what it was like to live intentionally with other people. So, like, your families, you're kind of just thrown in. You, you don't really have a choice. You're born into them. It's just how it happens, right? And... And we wanted to say, no, we're going we're gonna to live intentionally with people. So we found three other married couples, and we found a big house, and we all moved in. So there were eight people all living together. And, you know, some people were like, oh, man, you should have made a reality TV show about it. It really wasn't that exciting. And, in fact, I don't think reality TV is that exciting anyways. So we probably could have been a reality TV show. Um, but we all moved in together, and as you can imagine, with eight adults, we all have an opinion. So I remember this one time, we stood around in the kitchen for an hour talking about the best placement for where the paper towel holder should go in the kitchen. <laughs> an hour! 
like move on with your life, right? Well, we eventually got better, but we still had big fights. And they weren't like tearing hair out because we're adults and we keep this in and we talk in a controlled voice. And, but we're still really angry, seething angry inside. Um, and one of them was about whether or not we should mute the commercials while we're watching TV. I mean, we could argue about anything. Um, but, but it got to the point where it was so bad um, that we were all just ready to throw in the towel. We're done. That's it. I'm not living with these people anymore. We do this with our families. And I remember talking to somebody, what am I supposed to do? And he said, this is what I want you to do. Go to the grocery store. Buy a bottle of wine and a loaf of bread. Take it home and gather everyone in the house together and apologize for any part of any hurt or brokenness that you have been a part of. And then forgive them. Say, I forgive you for throwing my wet laundry on the floor. I forgive you for not DVRing my show that I asked you to DVR. I forgive you for slandering me in front of all those people. I forgive you for everything. And then take the bread and the wine and share communion with each other because Christ was broken so that we could all be united. Ah! Ah, my heart. I. And then he said, pray like you've never prayed before because things like this don't work out easily, but they will change your life. That was the advice that we got, and so we did it. Now, I'm always amazed at how people kind of approach their families as though it should just kind of work, like it's magic fairy dust or something, that if I just sit back and watch it happen, someday my kids are going to love each other and stop fighting, and one day my husband is going to come home when I've asked him to come home, and someday soon, my kid will finally realize that I'm important in his life, right? We kind of sit back and hope that this is just going to happen. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work that way. We, we, when everything blows up and explodes, we look at things and we're like, what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. You haven't talked to each other for months, well, why is my kid always yelling at me? Each other, at, at me? Why does he not respect me? Does he even know you well enough to respect you? To know that you deserve respect? Why are my kids always fighting with each other? Well, are you fighting with them? Have you shown them how to communicate other than yelling? Right? This is hard work. And it's just easier to do the easy thing. But if we would cherish this, we would work it out. We would every day do the nitty-gritty work, if only to experience that hope and joy. Hmm. Um, this past Christmas was the first Christmas that uh, me and Zach had on our own. Normally, we do Christmas with one of our families, and as, you know, we have parents, and uh, our parents always are the... Um, the planners of the festivities. So we are able to show up and 
Gingerbread houses get made and lights get seen and Christmas movies are watched and presents are opened. And we were amazed to find ourselves this Christmas sitting around and waiting for those things to happen. So we got almost all the way through the Christmas season and we realized we hadn't watched a single Christmas movie. We barely baked any Christmas cookies. I only made a gingerbread house because they did, my students. And, and, and we hadn't really felt like it was Christmas at all. And so we looked back and we said, wow, that Christmas really sucked, right? It didn't even feel like Christmas. And it made me think like, as adults, I guess I'm supposed to take charge of that. <laughs> Go figure. But I wonder if we do the same thing with our families. I would hate if years down the road, I look back at my family and I view it the same way I did Christmas. Wow, my family really sucked. Right? I didn't really, I didn't really do anything to make it a family. I didn't really try that hard. I didn't even realize we had glass cells. I just thought we were all thrown in a pot together. I don't want that to be the case for me, and I don't want that to be the case for you. I want, when we look back on our lives, to realize that we cherished every member of our family. That not only did we receive that glass self and we protected it, but ourselves were protected in return. And because of that, we experienced tremendous hope and joy. Ah, family. That's what it can be. But, but we got to do it. And so that's my challenge for you this morning. Um, my challenge for you is, is during the barbecue or when you get home or sometime this week, I don't care if you're in fifth grade, I don't care if you're a teenager, I don't care if you're a parent, son, daughter, spouse, kid, whatever it is, I want you to think about this and start thinking about your family. What have I done to, to hurt this? And what do I need to do about it? And... And how can I better protect this? And I would go so far as if, if you're a parent, ask your kid, have I, have I hurt your glass self? And what can I do so that I can protect it? And if you're a student and your parent doesn't do this, or even if they do, do it to them. Because you're hurting your parents. Parents, you're hurting your students. We gotta work this out, right? We gotta, because we want hope and we want joy in our lives. This is how God intended us to be. Um, I'm gonna ask Marsh to come on up, and as he comes up, can we please all pray together for this? Please bow your heads, and, and take a second before I start praying. I want you to pray yourself. I want you to kind of take some time to do that, examine what, what, what's happening in my family. How's this glass self thing working? So just go ahead and take some time to think about that for a second. We want to be people who do family right, but it is really hard 
but we can do it with you. Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom and you would give us grace. Father, that you would not allow us to settle for the path of least resistance, to just sit back and watch it all happen. Father, I ask that you would give us the courage to protect each other, to love each other, to cherish each other. Father, if we need to go and ask for forgiveness and to forgive, that you would give us the courage to do that. Um, There's this quote by Annie Dillard. And she says that she says that we should we should grasp onto life by the jugular and hold fast for everything that it's worth. And I think that that's how we should be about families. Grab it and hold on to it for everything. May you guys Have a fantastic week and even more fantastic families. Amen.